Well, good morning, friends. Good morning. It is good to worship with you here today. Uh, for those of you who are new here, uh, perhaps you're a guest with us, uh, we want to welcome you. And uh, if you need a seat, I believe we've got some ushers here that will gladly help you find some seats in the space that's a tight, uh, full house here this morning. And that's largely because ACF is in the house. Can we welcome ACF? Yeah. <laughs> College students, welcome. Whether you're from ACF or you're from Penn State University, we want to welcome you. My name is Dan Min, and I serve on the campus of Penn State. And uh, my wife and I have the privilege and the honor of leading Alliance Christian Fellowship. And just by way of quick report, uh, we are wrapping up our fall semester here, and uh, we're about to send off our college students to finals week. And uh, and so for for those of us here at the sponsor church side of things. Please pray for our college students. Uh, they are overwhelmed and feeling the weight of what's coming up, and so we will love the prayer support. But let me just say, man, God has been on the move and, and just been doing incredible things. I, I never, um, it never ceases to amaze me, the faithfulness of God and the ways that he shows up, and it, it, particularly in the ministry of ACF and the, 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 the life of ACF. God has been working in, in our small groups and medium-sized groups and our large groups, and uh, we have the joy of, of gathering together with a couple of 100 college students every Sunday morning for our worship gatherings on campus in the hub, and, and that's just been a rich time, a joy-filled time, and so uh, I, I just, I say all that to say, uh, I believe that a lot of the fruit that we're seeing on campus is because the family of God and the saints here are praying. And I know many of you here at State College Alliance Church, you have been faithful supporters of the ministry of ACF and, and the work of God on the campus of Penn State. And so for that, I wanna say thank you. Uh, and and if, if you haven't been supporting us, uh, start. Okay, uh, it's real simple. Uh, just just start uh, if you, in your prayer time. Just throw on ACF and Penn State students on your prayer list and, and continue to lift us up in prayer. We welcome financial support too. I'm not shy to ask that. We're a poor college student. We're poor, you know, like we poor, you know, like. And so, please, if you feel led to, we would love uh, love the the support of our sponsor church, our parent church here. I say all that to say, not as a, a plea for for support, but to say, hey, God is on the move, and we. To celebrate God is doing great things and it's a wonderful thing. So uh, today we have the joy of gathering together some, some ACF folks in the house and, and Penn State students joining us here today. If your seat is taken up by a college student, they'll be gone by next week. So don't fret, okay? Uh, just just uh, don't, don't get all bent out of shape about that. Um, well, hey, uh, today I have the joy and the opportunity to jump in on a series that we kicked off last week called Prayers of Advent. Prayers of Advent. For this Advent season leading up to Christmas, what we're wanting to do on Sunday mornings is spend some time looking at the prayers that have been prayed around the events of, of Christ's first coming. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Isaiah's prayer in Isaiah chapter 9, and we heard that, heard that passage in the call to worship earlier today. And uh, if you missed that message, you can catch the playback on our website, sealliancechurch.com. But today... We're going to start our journey into the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1 is where we'll be today. And we're going to look at the prayers of folks like Zechariah, folks like Mary, the mother of Jesus, folks like Simeon and Anna. Friends, how many of you know you can tell a lot about a person by how they pray? You know what I'm talking about? You ever get around people and you're like, huh, 
You know, that, that's interesting. You can tell a lot about a person by how they pray. Now, I, I don't mean to make prayer a performative thing whereby we judge people. You know, that, that prayer is not a performance or we're not keeping a score chart, you know, on like people's prayer lives. That's not what I mean. But what I do mean is people's prayer lives often give us a window into their inner lives, right? Uh, so for, for instance, uh, I've mentioned this before in the past year, but whenever I get around my wife's family, uh, if you don't know, um, my wife's family is, they're all Italian-Americans in the heart of New Jersey, Okay, so, so just, just imagine for a moment, okay, I know most of you are from Central PA, you've never stepped foot outside, you know, like that, but, but just, if you can imagine for a moment, like, hardcore Italian-Americans in the heart of New Jersey, I mean, that's, that's just, just kind of picture whatever comes to mind, so, so naturally, all of my wife's family, they're Catholics, Okay, because you can't be Italian and from New Jersey and not be Catholic. Okay, and so nothing against Catholics. If they're Catholics in the room, hey, we love you. We're brothers and sisters. We're same same team. Okay, uh, but but I, I have noticed that whenever I get around my wife's family, uh, whenever we gather for family functions, they always look to the in-house priest, yours truly, to say the necessary prayers. You know what I'm talking about? To say the you know you know the the so before meals. Uh, they'll turn to me and say, Father Dan, would you do the honors? <laughs> they, they, they literally call me Father Dan. Now, we've been married long enough. They're like, Dan, just, just do your thing. Just, you know, like do your, th you know, but, but they say, Father Dan, would you do the honors? Now, you need to know, church, I didn't grow up Catholic, so I didn't receive the Catholic handbook on how to pray like a Catholic, okay? So what do I do? I pray the way I know how to pray. I start praying in tongues, you know? And, uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't do that. I, I don't do that. <laughs> Nicole and I would not be married today if that were the case. It's like, what, 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 what nut did you bring into this house? Um, so, so anyway, I, I, I pray the way I know how to pray. And many, you've, you've just heard me pray. That, that's just like, how, it's how I pray, right? And oftentimes, I mean, this is, you, you know this to be true, right? Like you get around people who don't pray like you, sometimes you'll get some odd looks. I remember praying like the way I prayed. My, my family, uh, my in-laws would kind of give me the side eye and be like, that's not how we pray. I don't, I don't know what prayer book you're working off of, buddy, but that's not, are we sure we're praying to the same God? Because that's not how I pray. You see, the truth is, most of our prayer lives flow out of the context of our relationship with God, right? And that's just kind of how we pray. We got college students in the room, and many of you are approaching finals week. And you'll be buried in exams and finals of all kinds in the coming days. And I have heard many college students during this particular week sitting in front of an exam praying prayers like, Oh God, help me, help me to remember the things that which I did not study for. <laughs> now, I appreciate that big faith. I appreciate big faith like that. But that prayer tells me a little something about you. That prayer tells me that you might believe in divine intervention more than you do the discipline of study. You see how that works out? So, so you can tell. Now, listen, college students, I'm not trying to pick on you. I love you. You know that, right? Uh, I'm not trying to pick on you. But I, I, all that to say, you can tell a lot about a person by how they pray. Today, we're going to look at a prayer by, the guy, by a guy by the name of Zechariah. And I believe in his prayer, there are a few things that we discover about Zechariah and his journey. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, we come to a passage that many have referred to as the Benedictus. 
Mary's prayer, which we're going to look at next week, is called the Magnificat, and that's paired alongside Zechariah's prayer, known as the Benedictus. And then, and then the following week, we're going to look at the prayers of, of Simeon and Anna, and that, those three prayers right there are, is sort of the holy trinity of the prayers of Advent. And in today's prayer, we discover, like I said, a few things about Zechariah's story that I think, I think, by God's grace, he'll show us that have profound implications on your life and my life today. And so let's go ahead and turn our attention to Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 67, and we'll take it all the way to the end of the prayer. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, but go ahead and follow along in whatever version of the Bible you have in front of you. This is what it says. And his father, Zechariah, who is this referring to? This is referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days." And now he turns his attention to his son, John the Baptist, and he prays these words. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Friends, I wonder how many of you know Zechariah's story. And I don't mean his story like from birth to present moment here in this text. I don't mean his entire life story, but, but what I'm talking about is where his life was that brought him to pray this particular prayer. Because you see, a lot of times the things that we pray for, you know this to be true, right? A lot of times the things that we pray for is the result of a series of events that have brought us to that prayer moment. And so, for instance, it, it, let's say perhaps you've been diagnosed with an unsettling health report. That might be enough to bring you to your knees in prayer. If you're searching for a new career, uh, maybe you're at a fork in the road and you're trying to figure out which way to go. You're, and maybe you're even going through some interview processes and all of these things. Some of you college students about to graduate, you're kind of walking through that. You're being vetted by these different companies, right? And all these things. And I'm sure you're praying certain kinds of prayers because of those situations. I bet you're praying prayers like, oh God, be, be gracious to me. Right? Show me which direction I should go. Open the right doors, close the wrong ones. You see, my point is this. Most of us don't pray in a vacuum. In fact, many of us, hardly any of us pray in a vacuum. Oftentimes, our prayers are born out of specific situations in our lives. Our prayers are born out of particular circumstances that surround us. And so the question I have for us this morning is, what were the series of events in Zechariah's life that led him to pray the Benedictus? What were the series of events, the circumstances? What was happening around Zechariah's life that brought him to this particular prayer moment? Well, for one, if you remember how Zechariah is introduced in the Bible, 
we're introduced, we're told that Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, were old. How would you like that for an introduction, right? Hi, I'm Dan. I'm old. Nice to meet you, right? Like, it's like, that, that was how we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and, and they're, just not, they're just not old. They're like old, old. You know, like, and I said this in the first service, I got some funny looks. They were like, what you trying to say, boy? You know, like, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive here. I'm not ageist. If you would rather, we'll go with biblical language. They were advanced in years. It's a nice way to put it. They were advanced in years. And what that basically means is that they were unable to bear a child. In fact, we're told that Elizabeth was barren. Now, Imagine with me for a moment, you were a first century Jewish couple, and as a first century Jewish couple, you knew when you were standing at the altar and you said your I do's to one another, you knew the significance and the gravity of bringing a child into the world and bearing a child, carrying on the family name, passing on the legacy of your family bloodline. You knew the significance of that. In fact, your very existence on the earth was determined and defined by what family you came from. Have you ever wondered why in the Bible people are referred to as a son of so-and-so, the daughter of so-and-so? You see, your family of origin was everything to you. It informed your very reason and purpose for existence on this planet. And so if you were unable to bear a child during this time, that was a death sentence for your family. That was the end of your family line. Your legacy would be no more. Your identity would essentially be blotted out from the face of the earth. The weight and the significance of this issue was no small thing. And so imagine finding out that you were unable to bear a child. And this right here is the first stop in Zechariah's story I just want to take a quick pause at. Because it's out of this place that Zechariah's prayer was born. You see, Zechariah's prayer was born out of the pain of longing. The pain of longing. I wonder if any of you have been there before. Do you think that maybe Zechariah and Elizabeth had moments in their home praying together you think that there were moments they had some heart-wrenching prayer times you think just maybe that when Zechariah and Elizabeth came together to pray that there were times where they would just come together to simply weep before the presence of the Lord can you imagine the prayers of longing and yearning for something that was so deeply precious to you can you imagine what that must have been like and for some of you you're like I know exactly what that's like. Nicole and I, we early on, we, we discovered that we had various fertility issues that we were going through, and, and that was a really hard time that we processed through. I won't go into all the details there, but, but we know many friends and, and people in our lives, even present moment, who this is their story. They have prayed years upon years upon years with the pain of longing for something and not acquiring it. They've prayed, we've prayed out of this pain of longing. Have you ever prayed out of this pain of longing for something and not having it? Maybe you have found yourself praying prayers that, bo- that were born out of this pain of longing, and, and that's where Zechariah is. This prayer was born out of this pain of longing, but not only that, get this, Zechariah's prayer was also born out of the struggle of doubt. 
Not just the pain of longing, but the struggle of doubt. And oh, friends, the doubt was real. The doubt was real. You see, in the midst of Zechariah's longing for a child, in the midst of his crying out for an offspring, God does something special. We discover that God shows up in the form of an angel by the name of Gabriel. This is all in your Bible. It's good stuff. You ought to read it. The angel of the Lord shows up to Zechariah, and he says, Zechariah, guess what? Your prayers are finally being answered. You're having a boy. Right, your prayers are finally being in. It's here. You're having a boy. Now, now, just, just use your holy, divine, sanctified imagination for, with me for just a moment. You would think, you would think our boy Zach would be leaping for joy. You would think he would be shouting with glee. You think he would be skipping along the streets and the highways and byways, gathering his friends and family together, being like, guys. You're not going to believe it. Beth is pregnant. She's pregnant. We're having a boy. Can you believe it? You would think that would be an appropriate response. But that's not his response. Zechariah's response is more like, yeah, right. Okay, buddy. Gabe, I, I, I don't know what heaven you fell from, but I ain't falling for this, man. Yeah, like, I, I know my situation. I know my circumstance. Okay, buddy, okay. You see, Zechariah's response was one of utter disbelief and doubt. And this is the second stop in Zechariah's story. And to be honest, it's not that outrageous of a stop when you think about it, All right? I mean, listen, I would like to think I would have been holy enough, faith-filled enough to believe the words of Gabriel if he showed up and he said, guess what, Dan, you're having a boy. I would have been like, I would like to think I would have enough faith to believe. Yes and amen, that's awesome. But if I were real honest with myself, I'm not sure that I would have been able to see beyond my circumstances and the reality of my situation and receive these words as truth. I'm pretty sure my response would have been like, yeah, right. Also, I'm from New York, so that's just kind of my natural sort of response to all things miraculous. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. The struggle of doubt was real. It was definitely there for Zechariah. And Zechariah's prayer, believe it or not, it flows out of this place of doubt and the struggle to believe. In fact, because of Zechariah's disbelief, do you know what happens next? You know the story, right? The angel of the Lord shuts his mouth for nine months. And this is the third and final stop I want to visit in Zechariah's story. Now, just hang with me for a moment because I'm actually going somewhere with all these stops. I'm not just stopping you for no reason. I'm, I'm actually going somewhere with all of these. The third stop I want to stop at is this. Zechariah's prayer was not only born out of the pain of longing, it was not only born out of the struggle of doubt, but now here we see that his prayer is born out of the ache of silence. Oh, and for some of us, that silence does ache. The ache of silence during Elizabeth's entire pregnancy, Zechariah is unable to speak at all. He is completely silenced. Now, I remember reading this and thinking to myself, why is that the punishment for disbelief? You ever wonder that? You're like, like why? why was that the punitive measure for doubt that Zechariah was experiencing? 
You see, I, I wonder, church, if the silence was actually a gift to Zechariah than a punishment from God. I, I begin to read the story, and as I, as I take a closer look, I wonder if God silenced Zechariah so that he can get his full attention because there are some things that only God can birth in the silence of Zechariah's life. I, I began to wonder, can, can, can you just, I mean, just think about this for a moment, right? Can you imagine how good of a listener Zechariah must have grown into during those nine months? I mean, he, he had to win the husband of the year award. Like, it's like, I'm not trying to fix you, honey. I'm not trying, I can't even talk. He's miming the whole time. Like, he's, he can't solve anyone's problems. He can't fix anything. He can't offer any advice, right? He's just, he's silenced, right? I mean, Beth is happy. Beth is happy. I'm telling you right now. But not only that, just think about this for a moment. Zechariah, he was a priest. And day after day, as he goes into the temple courts to fulfill his priestly duties, day after day, as he comes before the Lord in prayer, multiple times a day at that, day after day, as he seeks the face of God, he's not hearing his own voice. And I ask you, church, could it be that during the course of those nine months, Zechariah developed an unbelievable keen sense and ability to hear the voice of God. Could it be that the silence was actually a gift and not a punishment to Zechariah? You, you see, here's, here's what I believe. I believe that during the course of those nine months, God was not only birthing a child in Elizabeth, but God was birthing faith in Zechariah. God was not just birthing and creating a life in Elizabeth's womb. I believe God was birthing radical, kingdom-sized faith in Zechariah. And friends, I'm telling you right now, sometimes the only place where God can build up our faith in that kind of way is in the ache of silence. It's when we shut up long enough to allow the Spirit of God to work. Can you think about this? 40 years of silence in the wilderness. 400 years of silence between the promise of Christ and the arrival of Christ. Three agonizing days in the ache of silence between a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb. Friends, let me say it again. Sometimes the only place where God can build up our faith is in the ache of silence. Now, I said I was going somewhere with this, so can I try to bring this home for us? You can tell a lot about a person by how they pray. One's circumstances and the situations of their lives lead them to pray certain kinds of prayer. And Zechariah's story came with a few situations and circumstances along the way. And in the first stop, we discover this truth that I want to point to here this morning. That in every pain of longing, God hears our cry. In every pain of of longing, God hears our cry. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would drive that truth at the center of our souls this morning. In every pain of longing, God hears our cry. When Gabriel shows up to Zechariah, you wanna know one of the first things he says he utters out of his mouth to Zechariah? God has heard your prayers. God has heard your prayers. And this is good news for us, friends. 
God has heard your prayers. He is not ignoring you. He is not distant from you. He is not shutting his ears or his attention from you. God has heard your prayers. And friends, I wonder if some of us here this morning need to hear that good news again. I'm here to tell you, God has heard your prayers. In every pain of longing where you have offered up just a a squeak of a whisper of a prayer, just barely reaching to the heavens, just like that, that prayer pain of longing that you're praying, I'm telling you right now, God has heard your prayers. In every pain and ache of longing where you feel where you're longing for something and you don't have that thing, whether it's a dream or a hope or a preferred future or an opportunity or a relationship. I talked to some folks after first service. They said, Dan, I've been praying for my kids. They're, they're grown adults. They got their own kids. They're not walking with the Lord. I've been praying for them for years upon years upon years. And I need to hear this, that God hears my prayers. I'm telling you right now, this is the good news of the gospel. God hears your prayers. He is not ignoring you. He is not ignoring his children, but God hears your prayers. So every place in your life where you have ever prayed, hear me, ever prayed out of the pain of longing for something, God heard it. He sees it. It's on his radar. He knows about it. God hears your cry. God heard, God heard your prayers. Do you, now, I, I, I look at this prayer, right? And, and do, you think, do you think that Zechariah would have ever imagined saying these words out of his mouth? And you, child. Just think about that for a moment. Those two little simple words, like you, you just don't even think about, give a second thought. Put yourself in Zechariah's shoes for just a minute. He's holding his newborn son. He's praying over him, prophesying over him. And he says, you child. Elizabeth, did you, did you hear what I just said? This is ours. This is our baby. You child will be called the prophet of the most high. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. I imagine if Zechariah were to pause and turn to us here at State College Alliance Church on December 10th on 2023 here and offer up a message to us, to those of us who are feeling the pain of longing, I imagine he would say something like this. Hey, I get it. I've been there. For many years, I have felt the pain of longing. But can I tell you, God hears your cry. He hears your cry. Now, can I just clarify something real quick before I move on? This doesn't necessarily mean, I don't don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. This doesn't necessarily mean that God is gonna give to us everything that we ask for. And and, and it's not like, you know, we got this Amazon wish list that we offer up, send him the link. You know, it's like, hey, just just make sure you get all, just check all the boxes. It's not a Christmas list that we send up to God to give to God. He's not going to fulfill every dream that you have. In fact, if this is any consolation, I just came across something that one of my former mentors said back when I was in college. He, uh, he was a professor of mine, a mentor of mine, and I, I saw this post on social media just this last week. I thought I'd share it with you because it's so spawn on. He says it this way. The purpose of a dream is not ultimately in achieving it, but to give your life meaning and purpose in the present moment. During your life, you will have many dreams. Some you will realize and some you will not. 
Be careful not to invest too deeply in getting everything you strive for, but rather enjoy and cherish the meaning and purpose God gives you in the journey. Ultimately, the only dream which will never disappoint you and you will always fully realize is the love and the presence of God in your life. And that dream has been purchased for you by another whose ways and works are always perfect. Come on now, that'll preach, huh? That dog will hunt. Translation, God hears our cry. God hears our cry. Here's the second truth that I wanna point to in Zechariah's prayer. In every struggle of doubt, God remains faithful. Oh, Holy Spirit, cause that truth also to bury into the soil of our lives in every struggle of doubt, God remains faithful. Our confidence might waver, but God is steady like a rock. We might wrestle with disbelief and doubt, but God remains faithful. And and would you know, this isn't unique to Zechariah's story. Uh, Let me ask you Bible scholars in the room, for all of you future seminarians, let me ask you this question. Does Zechariah and Elizabeth's story sound familiar to you at all? Like when when you think back on Biblical history. Does Zechariah's story and Elizabeth's story sound familiar to you at all? Does it ring a bell? You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament couple, Abraham and Sarah. And this is by no mistake. If you remember, Abraham and Sarah were advanced in years, unable to bear a child. Sarah was barren, but what does God do? He shows up similar fashion and tells them, hey, guess what? Guess what? God has heard your prayers. He's answering you. You're having a baby. But not only that, get this. I will multiply your offspring. This is God saying to Abraham, I will multiply your offspring and through your offspring shall all the nations be blessed. You remember that? Genesis 22, right? That's the covenant that God makes with Abraham. In fact, Zechariah circles back on this promise in his prayer in verse 72 when he says, God has come to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. What Zechariah is pointing to here is the unwavering, never forgetful faithfulness of God. It never fails us, which means that no matter how much we struggle with our doubts, no matter how much we wrestle with our uncertainties, and even perhaps disbelief, God remains faithful till the very end. He was faithful back then, and he continues to show himself true here. And if God is the God of Abraham, and if God is the God of Zechariah, don't you think God will be faithful to you? In every struggle of doubt, we can know that God remains faithful. And I want to quickly touch on this last stop in Zechariah's prayer journey. We discover that in every ache of silence, God is always working. And the fact that God is always working shows and speaks and testifies to the faithfulness of God. In the ache of silence, in every ache of silence, God is always working. Friends, I feel the need to tell you today, God's silence does not equal his absence. Can we, can we just recognize that for just a moment? Some of you know this. Some of you need a fresh reminder here this morning. God's silence does not equal his absence. Did you notice how Zechariah moved from disbelief and doubt to 
worship and praise. This was the same Zechariah that had to get his mouth sealed and had to mime for nine months because of his doubts and his disbelief, right? Like his, this is the same Zechariah who's like, who's wrestling and struggling with his doubt. How can it be, God? How can it be? I don't know. I, he moves into worship and praise. The moment Zechariah opens his mouth after nine long months of silence, the first words out of his mouth is what? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. The moment he opens his mouth, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has saved us from our enemies. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Now, friends, uh, let me ask you. Could it be that during those nine long months of silence, God was doing something in Zechariah's heart that was unseen, that couldn't be seen, but if he stuck in the ache of silence, he would come to know God was doing something there. God was at work there to move him. Just think about it, to move him from doubt and disbelief to blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, awe and wonder-filled worship from a place of utter, complete disbelief. Church, can I suggest to us this morning, Zechariah's prayer actually gives us a beautiful glimpse into the heart and the message of Christmas. Can I, can I just talk heart to heart for a moment? The message of Christmas is very simply this. Though we are people living on this side of heaven with the pain of longing for something and not having it, whatever that is, you fill in the blank for whatever it is, you know what you've been praying for and longing for in your heart we can know, we can know that when we cry out to him, oh, God hears me. God hears my cry. I am not alone, but God hears my prayers. And that is good news for you and for me, friends. The good news of Christmas is that though we struggle with doubt, Though we wrestle with uncertainty, and perhaps for some of us, we just got straight up disbelief. The message, it's never changed from the beginning of time to today. God remains faithful to the very end. The Great Commission, you know how Jesus ends the Great Commission? And lo and behold, I am what? With you always to the very end of age. Do you think maybe God is wanting to send a message to us regarding his faithfulness? The good news of Christmas is that though on this side of heaven, we wrestle with our doubts. Oh God, could it be? Oh, I don't know. God, I'm not sure that I, feel, I, I fully believe or have confidence in this place. I'm telling you right now, his faithfulness doesn't hinge on your confidence. And that's good news. Oh, that's good news. The good news of Christmas is that though we walk through seasons of silence, 
though we walk through the ache of silence, we can know that God is not absent. He is not ignoring us. Rather, we rest in the confidence that God is always at work, perhaps especially in the silence. Paul says that in the fullness of time, God sent his son. I don't know why God waited 400 years. I don't know why the people of God were called to wait in silence for 400 years. But what I do know is he didn't go on vacation during those 400 years. God didn't step off his throne during those 400 years. God was doing something. He was at work even in, especially in, the silence. The good news of Christmas, friends, is that we have a God that draws near to us. We have a God who is so closely and intimately acquainted with every pain of our longing, with every struggle of doubt, with every ache of silence. The good news of Christmas is that we have a God who draws near to us to say to us, I am here. In your pain of longing, I'm here. In your struggle of doubt, I'm here. In your ache of silence, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm here. That message was the message that John the Baptist was charged with when he was born. He, God said, John the Baptist, your job is to go and tell the world that he is here. The king is here. Go and prepare the way for the king. And the good news for you and for me on this side of that proclamation is that we can know in every pain of longing, in every struggle of doubt, in every ache of silence, he's here. He's here. Christ has come. He is here. Holy Spirit of God, I pray right now that the truth of your presence and the reality of your presence would come and rest upon our hearts and on our minds here this morning. Folks, can we just go to prayer here for just a moment? I, I, as, I, as we go to prayer, I can't help but wonder where God might be wanting to reveal his presence to you, where God might be wanting to come to you to tell you, hey, beloved, I am here. I don't know where in your life where you need to hear the words of God, the words of truth, the words of our Heavenly Father coming to you and saying, hey, I am here. I don't know what pain of longing you're carrying here today, but I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would open up your ears to hear you say, hear the words of God say to you, hey, beloved, I am here. I don't know where you are wrestling with doubt and disbelief, where your confidence is wavering and where it's shaky, but friend, I pray that you would hear the words of your heavenly Father say to you, today, right now, beloved, I am here. I don't know if you're walking through a season where you feel like God is silent. Oh, friends, and I hate those seasons. I love it when God is rich in pouring out his, his voice, his life, his presence in my life. I love that. But there are times when we are caught in between the old covenant and the new covenant. 
There are times when we are caught sitting by a dead body, cold body in a tomb. And we're waiting there three days, three long, agonizing ache of silence. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you're there today where you are feeling the ache of silence in your life. Oh, church, I pray that you would hear the voice of your Father coming to you and saying to you even there, Oh, beloved, I am there. Jesus, we welcome your presence. We started off this, this morning service welcoming your presence here. And nothing has changed. We still need your presence even as we come to the end of the service. And even when we wake up tomorrow morning on a Monday morning, we still need your presence. None of that changes. And so, God, we invite the holy manifest presence of Jesus to come and show to us the places where we need to hear those life-giving words of good news, of gospel news. Oh, beloved, I am here. I'm here. I'm here. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm right here. Stick with me. Stay with me. My presence will provide for you everything that you need. I am here. this morning we want to prepare room in our hearts space in our hearts to allow you to come and meet with us in this holy moment I believe God when we make room in our hearts for Christ to come oh Lord you come and those are the times when we hear again those words of good news that you're with us we sang about it earlier God Those aren't just lyrics to a song, but that is the truth that we live into, that you are with us, God, with us. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning and then in this Advent season, as we make space in our hearts, make make room in our hearts, oh, God, we continue to invite your holy presence to come to us and tell us, speak over us, I am with you. I'm with you. And so, Lord, we look to you for these things. And we thank you for the Benedictus and the prayer of Zechariah and and even for the path that he walked. And I pray that those of us who find ourselves in a similar path, we would find Jesus. We would find your presence walking alongside us, even now. And so, God, go before us in that way. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen.